Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 83. Today I'm going to be talking with Cliff Stabler. Cliff is a mentor and a friend for 40 years. And I want to say about Cliff, he taught me so much. He befriended me as a young pastor in Pacific Grove, California, back in 1980. Later, he introduced me to Barnabas, not the actual Barnabas in the, in the book of Acts, but to the idea of Barnabas, and, and it was in the context of a men's discipleship group. Never forget those times. And then he introduced me uh, through his association with Ray Stedman, and I'm sure most of you know who he is, to the book Authentic Christianity, which for me has been the most personally impacting book outside from the Bible that I've ever read. And then from that, uh, Cliff introduced me to the New Covenant Christian life. And I am so thankful and uh, just so indebted to uh, Cliff and what the Holy Spirit did f- through him in my life and many other men's lives over those over those years and months that we were together in Monterey on the Monterey Peninsula. Cliff is a longtime pastor, a former missionary. He's a discipler of men. He was actually with us for podcast episode number 24, talking about that subject, reaching men, which is one of his passions in ministry. Part of Cliff's legacy is a list of many men who have gone on to live out their Christian lives in kingdom-related ways all over the world. So, Cliff, it's always good to see you, always good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us today. It's a blessing. It's good to be with you, Brother Bill. Thanks. You never age. You look young. (laughs) Well, I don't know. That's... uh, well, I don't know what we've done to the technology to make it look that way, but Amen. Uh, we'll keep working on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, soon after we met, Cliff, and we're going to be talking about living and ministering in the New Covenant today, but soon after we met, I remember uh, noticing you use the term New Covenant, sort of like in uh, that's an example of a person living in the New Covenant, not that you said those exact words, or like that's an example of what it looks like to live under the old covenant. I remember those kinds of phrases, not verbatim. And I knew the I knew the new covenant as a biblical idea, of course, old covenant, new covenant, old testament, new testament. But it seemed like you were using the phrase differently than I'd been used to hearing it used. The new covenant was a was a way of life to you. It was it was a way of living. So where did you get that concept, and and what does that actually mean? When you say living in the New Covenant, what does that mean? I had met Ray Stedman, and he had printed the book Body Life, which was quite revolutionary at that time. And um, so I spent some time with him, and we really hit it off. And I think he saw in me a fellow who, like him, lived outside the box. And we enjoyed each other's fellowship quite a bit. Later, I asked him to disciple me. I had a a yearning um, to go deeper. And uh, he accepted my request. So that's where I learned it from Ray. Boy, that's, you know, and, and just thinking about that, Cliff, because you discipled me in so many areas. So I know Ray was influenced by Henry Ironside and at one time. Right. So I, I'm sort of like a great-grandson of Henry Ironside, a grandson of Ray Steven. <laughs> I wonder who did Ironside. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. So the, the verse of Scripture that I think about, and I think about this a lot, and I quote it a lot to myself and in speaking to other pastors, uh, comes from that that book, Authentic Christianity, and Ray Stedman quoted it often in his book, and he said, this is the essence of the new covenant, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who makes us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So what happened in your life to uh, take you from uh, where you were before you were discipled by Ray Stedman and into the ideas of second Corinthians three, five, and six, and, and then beyond, because, uh, that was a, that was a crucial and a very important time in your life. 
that's a good question because, um, you know, the scripture makes it clear that sometimes humans don't change unless a crisis precipitates it. And there was no crisis in my life. There was a yearning, I think, to go deeper, but I didn't know what that meant. And uh, so when Ray uh, agreed to disciple me, uh, he said, we're going to have a pastor's conference, a month-long pastor's conference, and I invite you to come and participate in it. A month-long pastor's conference? I never heard of such a thing. And essentially what he was doing was using that to disciple pastors who came from all over the world. And um, so I went to it. And on the first morning, he taught from 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, about the Apostle Paul who was in ministry in Troas. And everything was wide open. The doors were wide open to ministry. I don't know if people were lined up or there were crowds or what, but the hearts of the residents were open. Yet there was anxiety in the Apostle Paul, and he couldn't, he took, he couldn't take advantage of of that opportunity, and the cause of the anxiety was Titus was supposed to have been there, and he hadn't shown up. And as we know, being a Christian traveling in the Roman world in those days had very uncertain guarantees. (laughs) And so the Apostle Paul was worried that his brother Titus, his young disciple, though hadn't showed up, and he couldn't take advantage He couldn't take advantage of that opportunity. And so he went on to Macedonia. Well, then he describes authentic Christianity, the qualities of attitude that handles anxiety. And on that first day he preached from that passage, I was listening Mm -hmm. hard, Bill, big time, and... Afterward, I went to Ray. I said, I'm in trouble. As I listen to you today, none of those qualities of authentic Christianity describe me. Mm. I'm in trouble. And he said, not to worry. We're going to have more (laughs) tomorrow. Well, tomorrow was too long for me. It was noontime, and we had a lunch break. And so I went out in my rental car in the parking lot and sat down with my journal and listed all the areas I could think of in my life where I was a carnal, ego-satisfying Christian. Three pages, each line, a separate insight. And I really laid it out. I went full authenticity before the Lord. So the next day... He taught on 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, particularly verses 4 through 6, where he lays it out what the new covenant is. And um, I, I saw myself as being, as I said a moment ago, a carnal Christian. And then I hear this. We say this because we have confidence in God through Christ There is nothing in us that allows us to claim that we're capable of of doing this work. The capacity we have comes from God. It is he who made us capable of serving the new covenant, which consists not of written law, but of the spirit. The written law brings death, but the spirit gives life. And I realize, Bill, that Everything I had done in ministry at that time, though highly successful in the world's eyes, I was doing it um, unto death. I was doing it in the flesh. I was doing it to satisfy myself. I was the yardstick on which I measured all of my ministry. And Bill, it was Mm. considerable. Not only had I become a Christian in a Bible-preaching church and, and very orthodox in all my beliefs, but it was a church that was very strong on missions and evangelism. And I had become a pastor of a church. It had a strong middle-class element to it, but there was a lot of wealth in the church. There were people with mansions and yachts and planes 
And um, I was the star. I had always been the star in ministry wherever I went. And I realized that what I did in ministry was not bad. There was nothing wrong with it. But I realized that I was doing it for myself and for my own ego. And that I was relying upon myself and not Christ in me. So uh, I was really, I was concerned. I was concerned, very big. So I flew home. And the first thing I did was I sat down with Carol and we spent an evening and I laid it out for her. And fortunately, thanks be to God, she tracked with me and we became one in this new orientation. That that really tells me, Cliff, that even though you went into your time with Ray Stedman, not in crisis, <laughs> you know, there really wasn't an emergency situation listening to him preach that first day created the crisis and you were open to the holy spirit speaking to you from second corinthians chapter 2 and i i re, i have a similar story it didn't come through ray stedman but it came after i got a hold of that copy a copy of of authentic christianity where he was talking about that the title of that chapter is the real thing in authentic christianity and i read that chapter and i thought of myself I didn't use the same words, but I I was in trouble. I I had been, you know, I was early in the ministry in Monterey, and and things were going well externally, and but I was a mess inside of my heart because I was trying to do this thing that I valued, the growing church. I was trying to do that in the energy in the of the flesh, and I grabbed onto a philosophy of ministry. That, that didn't have complete yes. biblical support for one thing, but I grabbed onto it with all of my heart and with all the flesh that I had in me. And it, I'm thankful that it only lasted about four months, that particular emphasis, but it did last four months. And during that yes. time, I was, uh, without knowing it, beating the sheep. I was frustrated with them because I was frustrated with myself. Uh. And then I read Authentic Christianity. I read The Real Thing. And, and then there's a statement somewhere, and I think it's in the preface of that book that talks about that this, this life, this life of the new covenant, it is a possible and attainable life. I, there was something along those lines, not the same words, but, you know, of course, the secret came later in the book when he, when he unfolded and unpacked Second Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. But, you know, that was just so life-changing. So you had a crisis, and the crisis was born directly from the Scripture and what the Spirit was saying to you. And you took it seriously. You journaled. You had three pages of notes. You, you, you went to the mat on this thing. I went to the mat. You did. And, and, and then the next day, boy, I, I can't wait to hear about the next day. The next day must have been <laughs> mind-blowing for you. What was that like? <laughs> well... Every day in that a pastor's conference was a new revelation for me, and it, it was um, hard for me because my orientation had always been success metrics in terms of the world. Uh, I'm a PK. My father always measured the success of his ministry in, in numbers, how many attended, you know, how many in Sunday school, how well the budget was doing and all those metrics. And I inherited that and um, I became a Christian in a church um, that was strong into metrics and they compared themselves to other churches who were into metrics. And so I was born in metrics, but I realized that my life in, uh, was something that Christ intended my life to be something much different. And um, so th that whole pastor's conference was a, a major revelation for me. Uh, in fact, uh, at the end of the conference, I was given a passage in Hebrews to exposit, to preach on. And um, guess what? I didn't get it. I didn't get it when it talks about ah. the Sabbath rest. And uh, I... I preached on it, but I didn't get it because I hadn't gotten there yet. And um, that's one of the, that's one of the realities of being a pastor. If I'm preaching on something that hasn't happened in me, the chances are that it's going to be empty of life. 
It's going to be informational, but it's not going to be transformational. Well said. Well said. Lord, help us. Bring it into our hearts. <laughs> Man, it's a daily thing, isn't it? This new covenant life, it's a daily thing. Yep. I've often uh, thought, Cliff, you know, the, the passage in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. That, that it's intentional. The Lord yes. doles out mercies in 24-hour increments. <laughs> That's the way I think of it. And, uh, you know, so there's grace for today. Yes. And there's grace for any moment that I need it, you know? Every day. That's great. And and it's there for our for us to grasp, yeah. to receive. It, yeah. It's not that God, you know, I don't have to plead with God to do things. He's doing them already. I need to say, I need to receive <laughs> them. He's holding them out yes, for me. Yeah. So the the crisis was that, and then there was the understanding that was beginning now, a new way of living. You and Carol started this journey together, and um, your life was personally impacted. Your ministry was per- personally impacted. And then later, when I met you, you were doing your Barnabas discipleship men's groups, and you had gone a long way in the ideas of men's ministry that became so seminal and so important in your ministry. And and you introduced the New Covenant as a crucial part, as the major part of our curriculum as we, as we yes. are together. And the same thing that you did yes. when you were in crisis and you journaled three pages, in effect, that was happening, I think, to many of us as we were part of that group with you because you were showing us how to be real with each other, and it's okay to be real. Yes. It, there's no judgment here. This is a judgment-free zone. Uh, <laughs> you know, just just share what's going on in your life, and let's just trust together that the grace of God is going to be uh, more than sufficient to be perfect in his strength being perfect in our weaknesses. Yes. So that whole Barnabas thing was so, so important to that. So I want to, I want to help those that are listening to this kind of grasp the idea of what it means to live in the new okay. covenant. I mean, yeah, let's just flesh this out a little bit if we can. I know we didn't, you know, just, let's just flesh it out a little bit. I think that's important. And, and you, you say it so well. Well, first of all, I would paraphrase it by saying, Everything comes from God. Nothing comes from me. Um, I, I, I think there's um, there. Ray told him um, had a metaphor that was kind of clever. He said there's a guy that decided to buy a new car, and he went down to the dealership. And mm-hmm. you remember that story. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he bought a new car. Boy, he liked the upholstery in it, and and. Uh, the the wheel was uh, the steering wheel was just perfectly located and great tires you know the best tires you can find and the paint job was excellent and so he piled his family in the car and he took them for a ride his wife was behind the steering wheel and he was pushing the car down the street <laughs> and uh, boy he noticed that things really did well going downhill, but going uphill, it was tough. It was too much for him. And by the time they got home, he was exhausted. So the next day, he got his family in the car, and he returned the car to the dealer. And he walked in, and he said, um, you know, you, you've sold me a beautiful car. This, this car is everything you said it would be, but it's exhausting, I'm I'm so wiped out. I'm so tired. People can't imagine how over the edge I am with this car. And he and the dealer said, "I, you know, I want you to come around here to the front of the car. See this little lever in front of the. You just lift up the hood and look at that in there." And the man said, "What is that?" He said, "That's an engine. Uh, The makers of this car." created (laughs) a power plant for you that's going to take care of everything that you wanted to accomplish. And you know know what? It'll take you up the steepest hills with no effort. And the man said, I didn't know that. Now, that's, that's typical of me as a Christian. When I became a Christian and I was told the demands of my life and the commands of Christ, I said, I can do that. 
I'm going to do that. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to follow through on it. And uh, guess what? I wasn't up to the task. I couldn't do it. And yet Christ, when he was with his disciples and he gave them a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed with my blood, a new relationship, a new life for you. This I'm going to be living in you. Is Christ in you from now on. I'll never be apart from you throughout the end of the age. I'll be with you wherever you go. And yet, as Christians, we resort to our faithful flesh, <laughs> unfaithful flesh, and say, I can do that. I, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to fulfill those demands made of my life. And Christ says, look to me. Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. So as a result, you know, a lot of what I did in ministry didn't change. The content, the methods, the practices didn't change. But the power mm. plant changed. Mm. So Paul, the apostle, had his own crises too and you know he talk, talks about that in Romans 7 you know that which I want to do I don't do that which I don't want to do I do oh wretched man that I am that kind of thing and you know I for years Cliff I would uh, think about what was Paul's quintessential verse I mean if he could identify one verse in all of his epistles that was his verse the big big verse um, you know, I, I had several candidates in mind. One is the Second Corinthians three, five, and six, and that may indeed be it. Another is Galatians two twenty. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I. Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the in the Son of God. So I think that's right there, along with it. It's the same idea. But then I've I, I stumbled later on Colossians chapter one, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because. Paul talks about this great mystery that he preached among the Gentiles. Yes. And, and, uh, that now he's making known to them. And he says, it's, and so here it is, drum roll, ready to go. Here's the mystery that he's been preaching. He wants to tell the Colossian church about it. And the drum roll stops and the mystery comes out, uh, through his pen under the manuscript. And it says, here's the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. That's it. That's okay, it. that's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. that's it. <laughs> Bingo. And he says, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ. And we do this by the strength that he gives us to labor constantly in this way. And the Apostle Paul said, we toil and we struggle to yeah. make this happen. But we do it relying on the strength that Christ is Amen. in us. So that, that summarizes Amen. it. I, I Doesn't it? I mean, it just really summarizes this new covenant. Everything comes from God. Nothing comes from me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory, period. Amen. Oh, man, this is so good. Every time I, yeah. You know what? You know what? I, I think, I think, um, so many dear pastors across our nation has have been sold a bill of goods, and um, they are um, they're living according to other people's standards and not Christ's life within them, and they were never taught how to do that. And um, yeah, I I think they're hurting. I think a lot of guys are hurting. I Carol and I went to Africa many years ago, and were discipling African pastors. And the first thing we did was we taught the new covenant. And um, every morning I taught the new covenant. Every afternoon, Carol taught another subject. And then the next week, she taught the new covenant in the morning and I taught another subject in the afternoon. And at the end of the conference, pastor after pastor stood up and in his language translated to us, um, he told what the new covenant meant to him. And some with tears streaming down their cheeks said, I never heard this before. I never knew that is Christ in me. I have been working and laboring and I'm a, I'm a failure. 
I'm a failure. I don't realize what I've done to the name of Christ. Wow. And so ministry is, is this laborious, tedious, daily exercise that doesn't have a lot of joy in it. And it makes us so tired so quickly. And we wonder why. We've been pushing the station wagon uphill. Yep. Yep. You know, not re- not realizing the engine. Nobody's real fault. I Nobody's was at. I was in a pastors' meeting <laughs> once where uh, we all sat at the feet of a pastor as a guru type, and uh, he was su- considered it successful. I I didn't look up to him in that way, but the others did. And uh, the, the question was. Uh, what should we emphasize in ministry? He said, well, if you keep the choir happy, and if you have a full Sunday school, and if the budget needs of the church are met, you can do anything you want. And I thought, even that was before the new covenant, I could see the spiritual emptiness uh, uh, of his remarks. And uh, and that's that really governs an awful uh, the thinking of a lot of church leadership in America. And so many guys are comparing themselves with a more successful ministry a mile away or in the next town, and they're they're getting um, they're getting pummeled by guilt and failure. And uh, you know this is Christ's ministry. Yeah, I, I can just I can just feel that if I do that, if I do what you're describing, in in the sense that I'm measuring myself by other standards and I'm trying to live up to what other people might expect, even, and I'm just miserable inside. If I do that, then then I, I'm just I'm in such great need of of what the Lord wants to give me, and He's saying to me. Bill, if you only knew what I could do in you yes. and through you yes. without your effort. I mean, I want you to cooperate with me by trusting me. Yes. And I want you to obey me, but I want you to obey me by my strength, not by your own strength. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> yes. I, I love that um, piece in um, uh, where the Apostle Paul uh, says, if I must boast... I will boast about the things that show yeah. how weak I am. And then a little bit later, he gives an example. It was like he was writing to the Corinthians, and they would say, well, show us an example. What do you mean by boasting how weak you are? He said, well, you know, I was, I was in Damascus, and the governor placed guards at all the gates of the city to arrest me if I tried to leave. And, um, but I was let down in a basket through an opening in the wall and escape from him. And in other words, Paul is describing his success when he became a basket <laughs> case for Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, you know, that whole scenario, I mean, imagine Paul the Apostle actually allowing himself to be placed in a basket. That doesn't fit. And then allowing himself to be completely vulnerable by others letting him down and then fleeing the scene? Yes. I think one of the troubles that people have had with my ministry is that I am vulnerable and authentic. They come from churches where the pastor is perfect. He dresses perfect. He has the perfect family. He um, he looks the role. I don't look the role. Ray mm-hmm. Stebbin didn't look the role. We are just average people. But I think it threatens people to have pastors who are vulnerable and authentic and transparent. Even though I purposely shared my weaknesses so that people would see the power of Christ through me in my weakness, that was not well received uh, by Mm -hmm. many and then on the flip side of that is the source of your strength. That that is almost seemed to be heretical. Like, what do you mean Christ in you? What do you mean new covenant? What do you mean authentic Christianity? And it's it's such an uncommon message, it seems at times, that when people hear it, yes. they don't understand it. And it seems weird and odd. And this is different than anything we've ever heard before. Yep. 
I, I think so many Christians are accustomed to uh, decades of working hard, being diligent, in being good Christians, and doing what is expected of them, that they don't realize that there's a whole life of freedom and joy and relationship and love with the Lord Jesus available. I, Ray told a story about a, a boy who woke up one morning and <laughs> he thought, you know, I'd really like to bless my dad today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down and after breakfast, I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to wash his car. And um, so he went downstairs and went to the breakfast table and his dad was seated there. And before he even got set down, his dad said, okay, today, son, I want you to mow the lawn and wash the car. And I don't want to come home and have those chores not done. And all the motivation went out of him because it was a demand. It was a command. And um, so that's, that's what happens when we're in the old covenant we have these demands, these commands, and uh, they sap the motivation, uh, the, which is love, from us. I think every child who has ever experienced rebellion makes a decision. I know our daughter did when she was about eight. She had a conversation with herself, and she said, you know, you're having a lot of conflict with your parents. Now, you can... You can continue to have conflict, or you can choose to live to please them. And she made that choice at age eight. And I think that that's new covenant thinking. It's the motivation is totally different. So you talked about earlier, you talked about how that you went home that night of your crisis after you journaled and you shared you unpacked all that with Carol, and then she just joined in, and it was on board. So, you know, your marriage has been a new covenant marriage ever since yes. then. What what does it look like for a husband to live in the in the new covenant? Well, I <laughs> I was an old covenant husband, that's for sure. When we got married, I thought everything was that the wife did was supposed to be for the husband's benefit and his comfort. For example, uh, this is so. Uh, prehistoric Neanderthal thinking, but I thought that every night she should give me a back rub. And um, I was really ticked that she didn't think similarly. And um, we had been married maybe three months and the toilet had not been cleaned. And I, <laughs> you know, this is not good. This it's, toilet is filthy. And so... I got this idea in my head. It's obviously from the Holy Spirit now. I can think of that. But um, I cleaned the toilet. And if, about a week later, I cleaned it again. And a week later, I cleaned it again. And I was learning to be a servant rather than an authoritarian. And I was learning to give to my wife and treat her with respect and caring and model for her rather than tell her. Um, being a servant rather than trying to control her. That was, I, I can look back and see the Holy Spirit's hands in my life well before I knew the new covenant. And then when you discovered the new covenant, now you you had new power and new motivation even, right? That's right. Yep. Uh, I had a different way of thinking because I enjoyed doing things for Carol rather than ask, uh, expecting her to do things for me. Truly, is it is true what, what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It yep. really is true. Um, there, You know, one of the things that uh, the apostle Paul wrote about, he said, you know, there's in marriage, there's a mystery that has to do with Christ in the church. It's a mystery because people don't know the meaning of it. They don't understand that in human marriage, we see a picture of Christ and the church. And where the husband learns to serve his wife, um, I did a study once on the word submit in Ephesians, and uh, I, couldn't, I, I, I 
couldn't grasp what does submit mean. Well, you know, the translators of the scriptures were all male, and so and they lived in the military time, and so they used words that were common to their understanding. But the 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 twenty first century word that is closest to submit is adapt. We adapt ourselves to the needs and the shape of another. It's like a, a joiner uh, when he builds a piece of furniture. He he makes a dovetail and they fit together. One shape adapts to the shape of another. And I believe that God has made women with the ability and the need and the desire to adapt to their husbands. But they can't adapt to something they don't know. If a husband is remote and standoffish and never shares himself, is not authentic or transparent, she doesn't know how he's shaped. She wants to Mm. hear how he is, what he's doing, what he's thinking, what he's feeling. She wants to pray with him because in prayer, prayer is one of the most intimate characteristics, elements of marriage. And uh, boy, when a husband and wife pray aloud together, um, it can be a wonderful time where the wife is understanding spiritually where her husband is and can adapt to him. So good, so good. So let's just... uh flip that over now we're we're speaking with and to pastors so what does it look like for a pastor to minister or try to live in the in the old covenant versus the new covenant in the marriage no 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 not in his church i mean his ministry in, in the church as a pastor okay well i think the biggest issue is control if he's not a servant he's going to try to control and he he will try to make all decisions go through him and he will try, he, he will not understand the giftings of the Spirit where people are equipped to minister to the body of Christ. And some of them are better, more, b- better equipped than he is to minister to people in the body of Christ. And, um, I, I, I know, <laughs> I know a church which had put all of the people in the church through a survey of their giftings. And they um, had this great result. It's on a database. And they, all the spiritual gifts are in the database. And there it sits. Nobody has done anything with all that information. Nobody has come along and say, hey, Bill, I see where you have the gift of, you know, I could see where the body of Christ could really be strengthened if you were to do thus and so. And their thinking is that the ministry of the church is what the pastors do. They have not evolved to the point where they understand the scripture that we are all ministers. We are all gifted. Uh, There are countless ways, but control is the biggest issue that um, inhibits pastors prevents them from being full ministers of the gospel. So in a way, uh, the same dynamic or the same life source that should happen in marriage under the new covenant, serving our wives, understanding our wives is the same concept that we pastors should should take into our ministry to our in our churches. You've made an int- uh, uh, important point. I believe I learned how to be a pastor by learning how to be a husband. I think that was my seminary experience, if you will. Uh, that was really the major area of growth because I learned how to serve. I learned how to love. I learned how to uh, look after others' needs rather than my own. I learned how to empower them, strengthen them, uh, for them to grow in um, to meet uh, the potential that God had put in each one of them. It just, it goes on and on. I, I, I lost my need for control. <laughs> Any man who gets married and thinks he can control his wife. <laughs> <laughs> What's the definition of insanity? <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. So just speaking about the the new covenant cliff and 
challenges that pastors face and you know you share the same concern I share is that a lot of guys are struggling you know it's easy to struggle in ministry it's really really hard it's impossible just like living the life of a Christian is impossible in the energy of the flesh so is doing ministry impossible in the energy of the flesh so you know given all that or anything that comes to your mind what do you think the number one challenge the number one challenge that senior pastors or leaders are are having today Uh, spiritual dryness I think a lot of what they do is preparing for what they're going to say or what they're going to do with uh, their congregations, but spiritually inside, they're dry. How do they get wet? How do they get wet? You know what? I'm going to um, I'm going to produce a, a 21 volume um, in response to that. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's different for each person. Um, I intentionally do not share how I became wet because the the carnal response is, oh, I'm going to do what Cliff did. Well, that's not what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus wants us to come to him and let him teach us, let him guide us, let him nurture us. His Holy Spirit is our comforter, our guide. His, ho- His Holy Spirit interprets to the heavenly father the moanings and groanings on our hearts yes he is faithful he can do it all why and so i am all i can say is when a pastor decides that he wants to get spiritually wet and he intentionally makes a decision and goes after it god will not disappoint God will hear him and bring him to a point of relationship where he enjoys the Heavenly Father, period. Which kind of brings us full circle because that's your story when you were, you know, you reached out to Ray Stedman and in that first day in that conference and you knew you were in trouble. And But leading up to that, you wanted something more. You wanted a deeper a deeper experience, a deeper whatever, and maybe you didn't know exactly what you were looking for, but you knew what that you needed it, and so you you went in that direction, and the Lord led you all the way. I can look back now, and for eight years, the Holy Spirit had been prompting me. It's like a baseball game. He was hitting singles in my life with an occasional double, and what happened with Ray Stedman at that conference was a grand slam, but he had been prompting me, giving me little singles in my life. And I was responding to them, but uh, the the new covenant was a grand slam. Well, even with Paul the Apostle, I'm, there was a big gap, a silent gap, silent years in his life and ministry that we don't have any biblical record about. What was going on when he had to go back to Tarsus and live in his hometown for 8 to 12 years? And then after that period of time was when he actually started his ministry as an apostle. Was he was he experiencing those eight years you were talking about? Was he coming to the place of journaling for three days, you know, or th- you know, three pages of journal? I mean, what it is? What what happens in our lives to bring us to that place? But we need it. I need it. I need it today, Cliff. I mean, we we all do. I need the life of Christ. I mean, Amen. I, his life is the only life that matters anymore. And uh, that's one of my heart's cries is, Lord, you mean everything to me. I love you more than anyone or anything else in the world. You're everything to me. Well, Cliff, as we wrap up uh, this discussion on the new covenant, I mean, could there be any bigger discussion that we could could have other than this one? I just, uh, I'm so thankful for it. But as we wrap it up, uh, you know, It'd be great if you just take a couple of minutes to speak directly to today's senior pastors, lead pastors, share whatever the Spirit has placed on your heart uh, as an encouragement to them. In Mark, the gospel according to Mark, Jesus tells a story about a, a farmer. He sows the seed, he goes to bed, he sleeps, he gets up the next day, and quite apart from his fretting and concern, and controlling attitudes, the seed takes sprout and grows, and the rains water it, 
and it grows into a healthy plant and it produces fruit and the farmer is able to, to harvest it. One of the things that I think is so important for pastors is to view themselves as farmers. We do not and cannot have control of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is under Christ's control and grows quite apart from all of our fretting and controlling. It's apart from us. The farmer sows the seeds. He goes to bed, not because he's tired and not because he's lazy. He's doing what is expected of him. He goes to bed. But because the seed is sowed in the soil, there is nothing more he can do. The seed begins to germinate and grow. How? Jesus says the farmer doesn't know how. The farmer weeds the soil, but in the final analysis, it all happens quite apart from all the fretting and stewing by the farmer. How? He doesn't know. And a pastor doesn't know. And any pastor who lives by metrics is living using the wrong yardstick. Any pastor who ministers in the spirit will see the spirit grow people exponentially. It was so hard for me to learn this because I'm a hands-on guy. I, if, if there's a need, I, I want to solve it. I want to fulfill it. I remember a, a man coming to me and he sat down in front of me and he, he shared from his heart deeply. Uh, it was really a horrific situation, relationship, um, problem he had. And um, I sat there, whoa, this is way beyond my depth. I, there's nothing I can do, you know. So he stopped and talking, and I, I looked out to my left, out the window, and thought, Lord, help me here. I, what, what am I going to say to him? He, he's begging for guidance. He wants input. And I don't have anything to say. What do I do, Lord? And I was silent for a period of time and looked back at him. And nothing. I didn't have anything to say. So I looked out the window again and repeated the same kind of prayer. I was begging the Lord, help me. Looked back at the man, nothing. Looked out the window a third time, begging the Lord, what to do here, Father? You love this man. You're faithful to him. Give me a word. Looked back at the man. Nothing. But I had a sense that I was supposed to open my mouth and utter a sound. I didn't know what the sound was going to be. So I just uttered it. And before I knew what had happened, I had asked him a question. What do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you? And Bill, his face changed right in front of my face. His face no longer was contorted by turmoil. His face had peace. And he started talking, and he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him. And the Holy Spirit gave him some wonderful guidance. I don't remember what the Holy Spirit said, but he was a transformed, fulfilled brother in Christ when he left that day. Now, that is not an unusual event in my life that is common carol and i've been in situations where we didn't know what to do next i remember we were in a situation in africa where there was great division and conflict and i had taught and then we took a break and she came up to me she she said uh, what are we going to do next i said i have the foggiest idea <laughs> we we relaxed and we rested in the spirit who led us to the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. And there was great healing for that whole community in a short period of time. The Holy Spirit grows the seed, waters the seed, brings fruit from the plant, and then gives us the privilege of harvesting. Relational. 
It's back to that, isn't it? It's back to the relationship that Christ has in us by the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. Thanks for that. Thanks for that so much, Cliff. And thanks for joining us on this podcast episode. This this is a discussion that we ought to have every day, every week. <laughs> this is great. Such a great encouragement. I, I'm a guy that is, uh, you know, I, I'll fix it. I'll try to fix it. I still try to fix it. Uh, with situations like that, but yours, that response was epic. It's, what do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you? And I, you've asked me that question before and, and me speaking with you. And that's where it all belongs right back there in the lap of Jesus and the lap of the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll do it. Well, thanks again, Cliff. It's been really great. Always good. It's good to be with you, brother Bill. So before we sign off today, we'd love to hear from you with any feedback, comments, or questions you might have. Just send us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. And may I encourage you to visit the Poyman Ministries website and the podcast website, particularly poymanministries.com forward slash podcast. And as you'll find when you go to that site, the podcasts are cataloged for easier reference. And you'll also discover other ways that our team of pastors can help encourage and strengthen you in your ministry. Again, thanks to you, Cliff, for joining us uh, in this episode. And from the staff, pastors, and board of directors here at Poyman Ministries, we wish God's very best upon you and your ministry. And remember, Christ is in you, and he is the hope of our glory. So long until next week. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poyman Ministries. You can find us at poinmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve Him, His pastors, and His church.